Welcome to the Bible Talk Podcast. I'm J.T. Carlson. And I'm Jeremiah Cox. We encourage you to search the scriptures with us as we consider God's will for us. Hey, and welcome back again to the Bible Talk Podcast. We're in the middle of Acts chapter 2. We finished with verse 21 last week and last episode And we're going to pick up with Peter's sermon. And as a reminder, Peter is being recorded in his speech, but all the apostles were preaching on this day. And we'll even note in our next episode with verse 40 that with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. So this is really just a highlight of what Peter talked about. And we can understand that. So you you who are listening out there who know me and JT don't think that we need to start preaching shorter time because, look, Peter didn't preach that long on a, in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost because he used many other words as well. And, and so there's a lot to be said with the gospel of Christ. And Peter kind of hit some highlights here for us in Acts chapter 2 and verses 22 through 36 is what we're going to try to look look at it this episode. Um, Just before we get into those verses, we're not going to be looking at this in in great detail, but I did want to point out what Peter or what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 16. He, when he comes and we establish that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter two, he's come as Jesus promised, he's going to do a few things. He's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And those three things specifically in this context will concern Jesus personally of sin because they don't believe in me, that is Jesus, they don't believe in Jesus, of righteousness because he goes to his Father and you see me no more. In other words, they claim that I was a sinner, but I ascended to heaven and I'm sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. I must not have been too bad of a sinner, right? He never sinned. He wasn't who they claimed he was. He was who he claimed he was. He's shown to be righteous and justified in his resurrection and then of judgment because he's sitting in the throne of judgment and the ruler of this world is judged, and all those who line up with Satan, the ruler of this world, are destined for that failure as well and being judged and condemned. So that's what Peter's going to say, and we'll see it has a dramatic effect on his audience, and then he'll give them the hope of salvation in the following verses next episode. Starting with verse 22 through 24, and we'll pause there and get into David's prophecy in the psalm in later comments. Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So he mentions this man, Jesus, and this man, Jesus, is not an unknown man. They knew who this man was, and that's the point of Peter. You'll see that throughout the Gospels and throughout the entire Gospel, the New Testament. There's sometimes a reference to the Son of God as Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus, the man Jesus, and all of those just attack different angles of that person. He was a man, and his name given him, that man's name, was Jesus. Matthew indicates because he'll save people from their sins. But he was indeed a man, a man that claimed great things. 
And there was a lot of evidence to that, but they rejected this man. And that's the point Peter's making. You knew him. You saw him. You know exactly who I'm talking about. He's a man from Nazareth. And so he certainly had lowly beginnings. Remember, um, Nathaniel said in John 1:46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So there's a reason they rejected him, not good reasoning, but they didn't want their Messiah to come from Nazareth. So all of these things are in play. You remember this man. You remember how you treated him. You remember how you rejected him. Well, even though he was indeed a man, he was something greater than a man as well. And God testified of this. He performed miracles and wonders and signs. And it says God did this through him. This is something that a lot of people have kind of got stuck in the weeds with. If Jesus was God, then didn't he perform these miracles by his own power? How did how did God do it through them, him and the Holy Spirit and his, his work in this regard? That's not a question that we have to answer and identify. What we do know in Jesus's ministry is that he oftentimes said that he wasn't doing these things by his own authority. And there had to be evidence that he wasn't doing these things by his own authority, but God was with him. The Holy Spirit was working in him. And that was the miracles, wonders, and signs. They showed something about this man, and it was something of utmost importance. Uh, that, that's exactly right. And whenever you see this uh, idea that here that Jesus was a man, we need to understand that and make sure that we teach and preach that he was a man, that he was uh, not deity alone. That and and here here's the thing: that a lot of people, well, how was he man and deity? How was he God and man? I don't know. Right. And that's a question that um, really it's interesting because when you get into the first uh, century after uh, biblical times, one of the things that we see is that being a point that so many people try to figure out and reconcile. And what it leads to is a lot of error being taught, yeah. trying to figure out what well, he was man and DT. How, how is he both or anything? God said it. And that's where I need to leave it. And any time we see men, I mean, you see it in the first, second, third, fourth centuries, especially these men trying to figure this out and have these different councils and come to a conclusion on that. They go off in air. Uh, the, the, the point is Jesus was man. And because he was Andy, because he was man uh, and lived sinless in a perfect life, that's why he could become that perfect sacrifice for us. And we need to leave it at that and then understand that, like you said, uh, these wonders, these miracles, these signs, these were all work in their midst, and he proved who he said he was, which was the Son of God. That's a good point. We can we can see by Jesus's life where those discussions lead, because that's the exact hangup that the Jews had. You know, in John eight, he claimed that he is the I am before Abraham was I am, and. Then they question, Abraham died a long time ago. How can you say that? You're here right now. How were you back there? How could you be God and man? You were just born 33 years ago. Right. And that's not something we have to answer. Faith accepts God's word. And not just blindly, even because he was attested by God with these miracles, wonders, and signs. That There was beyond a shadow of a doubt proof that he was who he said he was. And people knew that. He says, you yourselves also know. We see in John chapter 11, uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. And people witnessed that. And it was talked about. 
And then there in John 11, you see some of the Jewish rulers saying, we we can't dispute this. It's obvious. And people are following now. What are we going to do? We're going to lose our place. We got to do something. And then they conspired to kill him. And so it's not a question of whether it's valid and it actually happened. It's again, as we talked about last episode, it's a question of the person's heart. Are you willing to believe the truth and accept it? And then act on it accordingly. And that, and that's the thing. Jesus said it, right? And we see throughout Scripture, he is man, he is deity. How does that happen? I don't know. But I do know that there are many who we see, uh, there, there are many other accounts of the miracles that we worked, as we see uh, John uh, discuss, that aren't written down. But all of this was done, and what we have written down, we have to prove who he is. And we just need to leave it at that. If somebody does those things and there are witnesses that record it and it's beyond a shadow of a doubt, then who are we to sit here and try to figure out, wait a minute, how do I reconcile this man deity thing? If it isn't given to us in scripture, if it's not revealed to us, as we see Deuteronomy 29, 29 telling us, then we just need to leave it at that, have faith in it and move on to what is revealed for us. Right. And if they ever had a doubt before, it's being further confirmed to them now because now these men who claim to be the delegates of Jesus are speaking in other languages as we demonstrated in the previous episode. So miracles are being performed right now that are confirming what they're saying is truth and they're from Jesus. And so it's all just working together. Notice in verse 23, there seems to be somewhat a contradiction if we're not familiar with Scripture, because it says that he was delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, but they took by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. So if God determined this beforehand, it would happen, and he calls them essentially sinners. They took with lawless hands and crucified, murdered this man, Jesus, who is the Son of God, and they're given free will. How do we reconcile those two things, JT? Did they have a choice? Did God make them do this? No, we, we know that man man has choice, man has free will. It's one of the things that we've, uh, I believe we laid out one of the, in chapter one, in one of the episodes, yeah. I don't remember which one, but that idea that we see that throughout scripture that man has a choice, man has free will to make this decision. But God knows the hearts of men and he knows the way things will play out in that sense. Not in the sense that he's going to make something happen, but he knows the way things are going to go. Okay. And so... Uh, God laid that out as a result. Uh, I believe I might have said this in the first episode if I didn't. The idea that we see whenever we look at predestination, it isn't that God predetermined the man as far as made the man do it, made his decision for him. He predetermined the plan of how salvation was going to come about and used men and the hearts of men as far as where they were going to go to carry out his will. And that's exactly what he did here. And the other thing that this does, you might be getting to it here in a minute, but here in verse 23, him being delivered by a, a determined purpose, um, there is a thought out there that as we get to this time, that God did not uh, mean for Christ to die. He wasn't going to go down that path. It wasn't going to be that Christ was sent to a uh, physical death on the cross or anything like that. And uh, as a result of that, what we end up seeing people do is having misapplication of scripture. We know that that uh, that God back in Genesis 3 planned for this being the way the entire time. It wasn't a last minute, oh man, they're going to kill my son. Uh, now I'm going to change up my plan. 
No, this was the, the plan all along that Christ was going to come and establish a spiritual kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. Right. And that's what we saw in the introduction episode and the first episode of chapter one that Luke records in his gospel at the end when Christ has been raised from the dead and he's in those 40 days explaining to them some things. He explains that this is what the Psalms and law of Moses and the prophets said concerning me that I had to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. This was not an afterthought. This was according to God's eternal plan. Eternal back before Genesis 3 that you indicated. Right. And so back as early as the beginning, Genesis 3, when Jesus pronounced, or when God pronounced the curse upon the serpent, and way before that, before creation even came forth. And we did talk about it a little bit in chapter one about how man has free will. Judas betrayed Jesus, and that was a part of prophecy. But he had a choice, and he made the wrong choice. These people had a choice. They made the wrong choice. But that just shows the power and wisdom of God that even in their wrong choices, God could take something so wonderful from it that would even benefit them. Jesus on the cross asked God to forgive them for they know not what they do. And it wasn't forgiveness without conditions. They would have to do what Peter says to do in this very text. But this was an offering in his crucifixion even from them. You know, just kind of one of the questions to ask, you know, going down that path of if God did this or made them do this from the standpoint they didn't have a choice, then God made them sin. How just is that? And how is that at all in conjunction with First uh, John chapter 1, which tells us that uh, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If he would force man to do that, that it would just bring up so many different questions and contradictions. And so whenever you keep it within that and you understand that God is just and right and in him is light and no darkness at all, he isn't going to force man to do anything. He can take evil and use it for his purpose. Yeah. But man has the choice to make. James 1 even says God can't tempt someone to do That's evil. Right. So how could he force them to do evil? We got to understand that not even Satan can force someone to do evil. And that's the power of God's creation of free will. If God created free will, and that means each individual always has their choice, then that's going to be even more powerful than the immense power Satan has. Yep. You always have the choice to say, no, I'm going to follow God. And they didn't. But now they're given an opportunity to change their mind. It says that God raised him up. He didn't allow him to be defeated by death. This was according to prophecy by Jesus himself in Matthew 16 when he says that the gates of Hades will not prevail against his kingdom. Death was not going to keep him from establishing his kingdom. God raised him up and Peter said because it's not possible that he should be held by death. And it wasn't possible as he'll go on to indicate because it was prophesied that he wouldn't be held by death. And the prophecy of scripture must be fulfilled. So he quotes from David, and this is Psalm 16 verses 8 through 11, where David says concerning Christ, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you did not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence." He'll explain what this is about in verses 29 and following. 
But I want us to note in this text, whoever is speaking and whoever they're speaking about, and we know, but just consider the words, that in verse 25, you've got the fellowship with God. God is with this person. He's at my right hand. He's not shaken because of that. He has this hope and he rejoices in this hope. That hope is concerning verse 27 and 28, where his flesh is not going to be seeing corruption and he'll be given life of verse 28 and then will be restored to the joy of the presence with God. And so if we just take the text, we have this person, David, we know he's talking, who's talking about some other person about this fright of death, but not being shaken from it because they know that death will not consume them. They'll be raised from the dead and then they'll be restored to the full and real presence of God. And that's not something David was saying of himself. And Peter explains this. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus has ra- this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And we'll pause right there. So the proof that David wasn't speaking of himself is his bones in his grave. Mm-hmm. His body saw corruption. His body returned to the dust of the earth. That did not happen with Jesus. We see it in his resurrection and we see it in his ascension from chapter one. We never see that they witnessed his glorified state, but what we do see is that he never died again. Everyone else who has ever been raised from the dead died again. Jesus did not, and there's a great significance to this. Instead, David spoke of the Christ. And he spoke of the Christ in reference to a prophecy concerning the fruit of his own body. What connection does David have with Jesus? We know that uh, Jesus was going to come from the seed of David. And so as a result of that, you have David and then on down the line, Christ is of David's seed. Absolutely. In Romans 1, there is the as we were talking about before, the humanity and deity of Jesus that are mentioned in the very beginning verses. And it says that he was confirmed to be of the seed of David according to the flesh. And this was something that not even the Pharisees could dispute. They had genealogical records to prove it. He is from the fruit of David. He is from that lineage. Now, is he the Messiah? Well, there were other people that were from the lineage of David. So why is he the Messiah? Well, those miracles we talked about in verse 22 were proving that point. But the ultimate proof is that he's declared to be the Son of God with power by the Spirit of holiness from the resurrection of the dead. And this is something that was prophesied about. I think that the specific reference is to 2 Samuel 7. In that context, here's David, and he has a little bit of a feeling of guilt because God is dwelling in tents, and he's dwelling in a house of cedar. So he asked Nathan the prophet if he could build him a house, and Nathan gives him permission, but none of them had authority. And that's what God interjects with. I didn't ask for this. And instead of them building God a house, he actually tells David, I'm going to make you a house. And his house was this kingdom he was talking about, where ultimately in that lineage, his seed would set on that throne, and your throne, the text says, shall be established forever. That's the reference. And Christ, being that seed, was not allowed to stay in the grave, or else that prophecy 
would not be fulfilled. And God fulfilled that prophecy in raising Jesus up, and the apostles were witnesses of that, and we've discussed that in previous episodes. You know, and I kind of jumped the gun earlier when I was talking about the fact that this wasn't just a, uh, a situation that spur of the moment, you know, God wasn't expecting this to happen. Uh, and so then he uh, decides he's going to uh, allow Christ to be crucified. David prophesied about it. And that's what Peter's referencing right here is this is something that was prophesied back then. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, and that language of the psalm, there's danger that's there. There's there's obviously a threat to his life, but he's not shaken. And, you know, that's a highlight of Jesus's crucifixion. Right. Um, certainly as a human being, he was undergoing anxiety of the cross, but he was res- resolved in his heart to do God's will, and, and it panned out for him. He obeyed. God to the point of the death of the cross and was rewarded with his resurrection and the kingdom he received. So with that being said, Peter makes ultimately the conclusion of these matters. There's there's an application that's coming in verse 36 especially, and then the following verses we'll look at in next episode. But he says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit... He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says of himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus died. He was buried. He resurrected from the dead. They saw him ascend into heaven. And so he's somewhere now. He lives forever. And where he is is at the right hand of God. And he's sitting on a throne, and that indicates a rule in the kingdom. And this goes to the very words of Jesus in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. He's sitting on a spiritual throne. The throne of David, which would last forever, was not physical, but spiritual. And that's an incredibly important matter. That promise he received was that promise that he would be set up on that throne back in verse 30. And therefore, he poured out that promise of the Holy Spirit he gave to his apostles. And that's what they're hearing at that time. Fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And we quoted from John 16 before, what the Holy Spirit is doing is convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Here's the judgment. The ruler of this world is judged. The enemies of Christ are made his footstool. So the question is, are you going to be his enemy? Or are you going to be his friend? And that's why Peter makes this application in verse 36. And we're going to be wrapping up the episode with this verse. Therefore, since all of these things are true, it's validated by us speaking in tongues. We're obviously the ambassadors of the Lord. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Remember, he says, this man attested by God, Jesus, this man in verse 22. They knew the man. And that's why he says, this Jesus, the very man that you crucified, the very man you rejected, he's Lord in Christ. God made him this. And this is something you can know without a doubt, assuredly. You sinned. He's in the place of authority. Now, what are you going to do? There's the conclusion of Peter's sermon. 
ultimately in, in its, its specific content. Now, there are going to be other things we discuss in the next episode. JT, you have stuff to add? Yeah, you know, just kind of one quick point. It's not necessarily having to do with like breaking down any more of the text itself. But one thing I want to point out, here is Peter and other apostles in that day preaching a sermon. They are obviously ones who are preaching the words of God, um, meaning they are being given that revelation. The fact that they're speaking in tongues, we allude to it in the previous episode, the fact that they're speaking in tongues, uh, and it'd be something that they wouldn't understand would show us that it wasn't their words, right? Their thoughts, this comes straight from God. And yet, what do we see in this summation, if you will, of the sermon? Scripture being referenced. Right. And that's one of the things that I want to point out. Even in this day and time, whenever you have tongue speaking going on, what was used to prove and to convict? It wasn't thoughts, feelings, anything like that. It was the words of God and going back and using scripture to lay out and prove points. That's what we need in gospel preaching today. And we see what it does, that this is what using scripture and then bringing it all together and then uh, making that application, as he d- does here in verse 36, as we're going to look at our next episode, how that convicts the hearts of these individuals. Amen. That's an excellent point. A wonderful point we need to remember. And to what we mentioned earlier, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. There is so much evidence beyond what he even mentioned here. And you'd better believe he's quoting scripture throughout yep. that time as well. Stuff that isn't recorded specifically for us. There is an immense amount of evidence in Scripture, and that's what we should be appealing to all of the time. And as you mentioned, even inspired speakers were doing it, and it's because these people had something to trust in. We'll get to Acts 17 eventually, and you have men from Berea who hear inspired speakers and Paul and Silas speaking things that are infallible. But what did they do? They turned to what they knew was truth and searched the Scriptures to find out whether these things are so That is the ultimate proof. That's by God's design. And we should always hold fast the word of God. So we're going to conclude Acts, the second chapter in next week's episode with verses 37 through the end of the chapter. We thank you for giving us your kind attention this episode. We pray that it's been edifying to you and encouraging to you and that that would continue throughout this Bible Talk podcast. Until next week, we'll see you. Appreciate it, guys.